Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Chloe. And I'm Maura. And this is Historically Badass Broads. Yes. Ah! How oh exciting. My goodness. The most exciting. I mean, I have no words to describe the level of excitement. No words at all. None. And that is the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you in. so much, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess the words will come from when we learn about whoever this lady is. I don't Indeed. know who this lady is. Do you? No. I hope Ooh, you do. I was going to say, I'm like, that really made me have a little heart attack for a moment. Do I know enough? Um, do I know enough? No. Actually, in terms of this woman, the answer is no, I don't know enough. Um, Ooh. Yes. But no one does, actually, which is tragic. But I wanted to pick someone who represented all that is June. Because um, this mm. is for June. And June, of course, is Pride Month. Yay! And I wanted to celebrate um, Juneteenth and all mm-hmm. that, however much I could try and celebrate and highlight um, people. And I found someone who I thought represented or at least hit both notches in a lovely way mm-hmm. and is someone that I've started really enjoying to read about and is someone I wish I could have had a conversation with. Um, and I'm sad that I will not be able to and actually ask questions. But this month. But now you have an answer to whenever people <laughs> say, if you could have dinner with anyone in history, dead or alive, who would it be? I, mean, you know. I was going to say, I have so many. Um, yeah, you definitely do. I have. It's everyone that I've done. Every You'll host a ball with all of them. I was going to say, it's everyone I've ever done. A, we've done our podcast on and more. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'd like an I've invite. to discover. I'd like an invite. I, I, think, I think that would be the best. Oh, God, I wish we could do that. Oh, okay. <laughs> so this month. <laughs> yes. I'm just like dreaming about like what we would eat and what we'd talk I know. About. I just started you down such a path. Oh, so you sorry. did? Okay. Focus, 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 focus. <laughs> um, we're going to talk about Gladys Bentley. Woo! Do you know? Of course not. Oh, but you know, you gotta give you gotta give a No, I was really I was I'm I'm waiting for the day where you're like, yeah, of course I know. Um Nope, just a lot of gaps in my knowledge. <laughs> we're, we're just gonna keep finding them. It's that gaps month. in your knowledge. The whole point of this podcast is that no one talks about <laughs> awesome women in history. So we're going this is to true. So this you is are true. very well read, you're extremely well educated, and you don't this know. And that's not your fault. It's the Thank patriarchy. You. Anyway. You're you know what? You're right. Thank you. You're right. In this time, I'm going to say definitively, yes, I am. And it's not an arrogance thing. It's a fuck the patriarchy thing. Okay. Always. Always fuck the patriarchy. Okay. This might be the latest person we've talked about, the most recent. Ooh. Which is kind of interesting. At first, I was like, had to do some hard-pressed math to understand 
if my guideline of it being 50 years um, after their death fit. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, absolutely, yes, I barely had to do any math and it fit. So wait, when? 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 She was born. (laughs) Gladys Bentley was born in 1907 Mm. in Philadelphia. Although in an article so okay there's so much to talk about so she was born to george bentley who's american and mary moat who's from trinidad and what's interesting is in a appearance with on groucho marx show later like in the 50s she ends up um claiming that she was born in port of spain um but everywhere else it's said that she's born on august 12th 1907 in philly so I'm going to go so ahead and say lying. Philly. I don't know. Once we learn more about her, I feel like we'll just be like, it's probably Philly. Um, okay. <laughs> but do you know what? I could be completely wrong. Um, I, okay. We'll see. We'll see. Or we, we won't. See. That's the thing. I want to ask so many questions. Oh my God. Um, so one of the main sources of information, there are so many great ones. There was a really fantastic podcast I listened to. Um, I believe it's called Black History Moments. Um, Mm -hmm. that is, that basically, you know, wants to talk about awesome black people and moments in black history that are not talked about that often. So love that. go out and listen to that one. It was excellently done. Um, and they, uh, she had an episode on Gladys Bentley. And what was so interesting is, um, you know, later on in Gladys's life, she writes an article for Ebony Magazine And I'm very conflicted about this article. But what's so great is that so much of the article, I mean, she wrote the article, Gladys Bentley wrote it. So we have her, um, you know, firsthand account of her life. And Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting because, so she's famous for being a blues singer, a pianist. She was an all around entertainer and icon during the Harlem Renaissance, which is incredible. Mm -hmm. She was known, she was an out lesbian, very openly out. And she was very well known for dressing as a man and wearing a white tuxedo and a top hat and a cane. Um, Do you know what? I feel like I've seen pictures of her. I, 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 I think every, every, not everyone. I feel like people have, because it's so iconic. Like she is. Yeah. That that's bringing up an image for sure. I guarantee you it's exactly the one I'm staring at right now. Um, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So she's, and you know, what's interesting. So the Harlem Renaissance is such, Oh God, it's such an incredible time of course in history. And I love that there are debates and arguments about the fact that it's never ended. It's just morphed and continued. And I think that's so exquisite. Um, mm-hmm. But of course there are so many people coming out of it. There's, um, you know, Ma Rainey and mm-hmm. Lorraine Hansberry and you have mm-hmm. um, W. W.B. Du Bois and you have, you know, all these really extraordinary artists and Langston Hughes coming out of the Harlem Mm -hmm. Renaissance. And she's not one of the more well-known ones, but she was then. And she's Mm -hmm. not now. And that's Mm -hmm. why I was so intrigued by her. She went through so much in her life. And we're going to talk about that in the Ebony article. She talks about the fact that when she was growing up, she had a really difficult relationship with her mom. Her mom seemed to have wanted a boy and, Mm. um, her mom basically, she says, this is a quote from the article. When they told my mother she had given birth to a girl, she refused to touch me. She wouldn't even nurse me. And my grandmother had to raise me for six months on a bottle before they could persuade my mother to take care of her own baby. 
Ugh. That's so tough. It's so horrible. And it's so, I think it's just so upsetting. And um, so she grows up not very wealthy in Philly. Her parents had, um, I think, four, three or four other, or eldest of four. She's the eldest of four. So they had three boys after that. And so she, mm. um, you know, very clearly uh, felt neglected in that way. And mm-hmm. um, ends up kind of using that later in an interesting way. We'll discuss that. Um, but she says in the article, and I quote, it seems I was born different. At least I always thought that. In later years, I learned that, quote, different people are made, not born. And we're going to talk about what she means by that. Later, she goes, nevertheless, from the time I can remember anything, even when I was toddling, I never wanted a man to touch me. I would even run away from my own father. I acted the same way with my uncles and all the rest of the males who came into my home. And she says, Hmm. when my two brothers were born, I began to hate them as we grew up. I suppose the reason was that they were admired while I was scorned. Uh, And then she starts saying, at the age of nine and 10, I stole their suits and wore them to school. I think I began wearing their clothes, feeling that I was getting even with them. But soon I began to feel more comfortable in boys clothes than in dresses. Um, So she starts talking about her body. She's a larger, you know, girl. She says, I'd always been large and stocky, looked older. And so she starts saying that she, you know, the, the, the male clothing gives her empowerment, I think. And, um, Mm. One of the things that's an early episode that sticks out in her mind is uh, a teacher she had in her elementary school that she fell in love with and she let her stay behind and she let, um, you know, Gladys brush her hair and, you know, she couldn't understand Mm -hmm. why she felt so attached to this woman. But I think obviously, and I'm no psychologist, but, you know, clearly this is a woman who's showing her affection but also right. someone who, you know, she's beginning to feel stirrings of her sexuality and, um, mm-hmm. you know, she, she's seeing all these different things. One of the, the reasons I'm hesitant to read so much of this article, but I recommend everyone does, is because what ends up happening in Gladys's life is in after after Second World War, when McCarthyism is is taking a deep hold in American culture she becomes an open and easy target and she goes through what she calls a medical treatment to cure herself and it works according to her. So this story, this article is titled, I am a woman again. A fabulous entertainer tells how she found happiness and love after medical treatment to correct her strange affliction. Okay. Yeah. So this article is Do written from say what it is. I mean, I mean, is it like electroshock or a hormone therapy? Interesting. Okay. And the love of a good man. Well, well, yeah, of course. That's yeah. all it okay. took. Yeah, that's a given. Yeah. So when I'm reading some of this article, you know, it, it's an interest. Is it again? I really recommend people reading it because, and I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to read for more of it because it's her. These are her words, and I think that's so right. important when we have that. Um, that resource to actually use it because so many, so much of the time I'm like, Oh God, I wish I could just read something they wrote, you know? And exactly. Yeah. This time I can, but I can understand, you know, she fought through, God, she fought through so much to achieve what she could. And then at the end, it seems like it, not that it was too much for her, but she was tired of fighting and anyone would be, and anyone would be with the level of persecution she was facing. So 
Mm. Let's start talking. I just knowing that's where, you know, she kind of found herself. Um, Mm. I want to go back to, you know, she's at an early age, she's wearing suits. She's falling in love with women. She doesn't really understand this. Um, her. Okay. Wait, mm -hmm. you said that she was wearing suits to school. Yeah. Was that ever a problem? Yes. Yes. (laughs) I mean, I assumed that it was, but... It really was. (laughs) Yeah. I'm surprised that she was able to leave the house in a suit. Well, her family started sending her to doctors. Okay. Yeah. They weren't like, good for you, go get them. Yeah. (laughs) And this is what she says. A mother began to take me from doctor to doctor. An atmosphere of whispering surrounded me in the home. Um, What my family did not know was that I didn't need a doctor, but love, affection, and healthy interest to supplant the malignant growth festering inside of me. This is Mm. the tragedy in the relationship between my parents and their, between many parents and their children once the secret of, quote, being different is out. Um, Who knows but what my whole life would have been different if I had been handled differently. Certainly my parents meant well. They just didn't know how to cope with the situation, which to them was at once startling and disgraceful. Mm -hmm. Mine has been a story of what sociologists and psychiatrists would perhaps term extreme social maladjustment. And she basically then equates it to a dope addiction. Interesting. So the society has done a number on her, unfortunately. Um, Or, or again, I'm, I'm hesitant to say that because I don't know if this was a not performative public um decrying of her own life to save herself Mm -hmm. or if it's genuine it seems to actually be genuine um which to me is all the more tragic it just would make sense Mm -hmm. more than anything it would make sense that the things that she was trying to do would immediately be seen as not not appropriate not right not not just not appropriate but like dangerous not able yeah Yeah. not able to be (laughs) Yeah. And to like constantly have everything, every instinct of yours, you know, told that you're told, pushed down, exactly. told that it's wrong is definitely damaging. It's 100%. And the most sad thing I can say about this is, and I think it'd be great if we include a link to um, this website, queermusicheritage.com, and they have this Absolutely. article and other articles about her. And mm-hmm. they have letters to the editor regarding the article. And one of them, it's often from gay people who are writing and saying, yes, I've been living in my own personal hell and I want to be cured. I wish she told me how. Ay, ay, ay. And, and it's so that's happening. Just, it <laughs> is. And that's what's so horrific is that like, this is what it was. This is a t- not even a taste. This is an inkling of what it could have been like um, to, you know, constantly being told that you are. I mean, one of them literally goes. I don't know why there's so much contempt for us. I'm masculine in appearance. I have a good job. I've never robbed, murdered, or raped. I've never been arrested. I never used any form of dope, never been drunk. I give generously to churches and charities. My sexual life doesn't include teenagers, nor does it include any form of solicitation on my part. Mm-hmm. They're having to defend. I mean, the level it's, I was so struck by this, um, by the letters to the editor regarding her article, not just her article. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, to me, like the more I read is the, the essence of her legacy and her story to me is, is, you know, can be found there. So, um, yeah. And I think, you know, she, 
at 16 runs, uh, runs away from home or just moves um, from Philly to Harlem. Mm -hmm. And the Harlem Renaissance is beginning in full swing. That was starting in like 1910. So she's moving there like right at the right moment. And (laughs) she's able to be, um, you know, this is a time in American history and culture where, you know, black people are trying to find themselves after emancipation and are obviously kind of, you know, they've come and also they're coming back from world war one where they were fighting in segregated units for a country and the, the citizens didn't even care when they came back and had risked their lives or given their lives for this country. And people came back and they weren't able to do anything. And of course, so much of black culture is being um, appropriated in blackface and minstrel shows. And one of the first things is, you know, that black people are coming back to a country that doesn't care that they fought for them and that uses them and makes fun of them in the most horrific way. And mm-hmm. they end up trying to, and and successfully, I think, taking the reins to that and playing with it in a bit. So um, they start having their, you know, jazz music is starting to be developed and performing and they're innovating and they're being creative in an, an exquisite way. And they're, they're wearing, um, you know, women are kind of, bringing forth the somewhat androgynous loose fitting garments, the, the beads, the boas, the cigarette holders, you know, things that we associate mm-hmm. with the twenties, that's really starting to um, come forth. The zoot suit for men, this is kind of coming and, you know, we have, Love um, zoot suit. Oh my God, obsessed. And we have Josephine Baker, who's in Paris, who's, you know, of course, one of the more famous black um, figures of the Harlem Renaissance. And mm-hmm. she's this incredible trendsetter for fashion. So we're having this, truly a renaissance of culture that is somewhat um, sidelined, but is becoming mainstream. It's the thing where black culture and black people, um, you know, come up with the most brilliant, creative things. And white people are like, that's our idea. Um, Of course, naturally. Um, And so, you know, you're having jazz poetry and, um, you know, it's also where people are kind of meeting and coming together. And it's also a place where sexuality is a lot more fluid and allowed to be more fluid. So you have uh, you have the, the difficulty of sexuality with Black churches and the conservative side. And then you mm-hmm. also have, um, you know, I think it's what it's like 133rd Street was known as like, what was it? It was like Jungle um av or something like that i have to find the name exactly um but it was where all of the speakeasies were and you know there were all these famous clubs and places and um one of the things that i think is really interesting is um you know she goes there and she starts singing and she has this really extraordinary voice um so she heads off and she settles there and it, it Prohibition's raging. Um, and so, of course, speakeasies are raging. And so <laughs> she finds, she hears that Harry Hansberry's Clam House on 133rd Street needs a male pianist. And she goes, well, if they need a male pianist and they're looking for one, it sounds like maybe they need a girl one. Um, so she <laughs> Log- goes. Logically, yes. Yeah, naturally. <laughs> um, well, if they can't find, you know, a male one, maybe they need a girl and really, so, what's the difference? There is no difference. Oh, okay. <laughs> ah, the rage. The rage. 
Um, I'm assuming she got the gig though. Yeah. So she says their pianist had gone to Europe with the, yeah, the blackbirds and, but they want a boy, my friend said. And she went, there's no better time for them to start using a girl. I replied. Heck yeah. Yeah. So her hands, what did she say? My hands fairly flew over the keys. When I finished my first number, the burst of applause was terrific. One of the white customers walked over, handed me a $5 bill and said, play something else. We don't care what it is. Just play your terrific. The boss came over, said, play as long as you like. When you're finished, come to my office. So she yes. starts, she's offered $35 a week and begins to work like that night. And she wore, in her words, immaculate white full dress shirts with stiff collars, small bow ties and skirts, Oxfords, short Eaton jackets and haircut straight back. And heck yeah, she looks unbelievable. Her salary goes from $35 a week to $125 a week. And Ooh. that's not including tips. She had a staging Barbara Bobby Minton and the club was even renamed Barbara's exclusive club. And she is an absolute hit. There's a really famous map of 133rd street and of um, the Harlem of like Harlem during the Harlem Renaissance that was um, written. And one of them features her and says, basically like, here's where you can find the, the the great cross dressing, um, you know, black woman. And, um, so she starts, she does this thing that I think is so amazing. She, she's touring the country. She has this incredible uh, apartment on Park Ave. She's paying a ton of money for everything. She has a bunch of servants and a really nice car. So she's living large. And she is, again, she's openly gay. She is openly with women. Um, she sings about sex. She sings about you know, really risque things. Um, she flirts with women in the audience. She takes popular white songs and changes the lyrics to make them body, which I think <laughs> is amazing. And, um, you know, she has this really incredible voice and she actually uses her instrument in a really interesting way. She's almost like a horn sometimes. So there's this growling and this kind of deep low voice and she's just this engaging figure and if you, you can go online and watch the um uh episode where she's on groucho marx's show and she sings them their eyes and she's just so engaging and unfortunately at that point that's when she's starting to wear dresses and being more feminine it's after that but um mm-hmm. she is still quite the performer um so yeah, she's just like living her best life. And I love that for her. So in 1928, she signs with OK Record, OK, OK, E-H Records. Mm-hmm. O- okay. I'm going to say OK Records. She records <laughs> eight sides um, for about a year. Um, in the sides, she's unfortunately not able to be as promiscuous or as, as you know, body as she'd like to be, but it's still fantastic to see and, and to hear her performance. She's so engaging, even just, uh, you know, audibly. And she was popular with all around audiences. So the one thing that I think is interesting too, about the Harlem Renaissance is the culture, uh, North of that bit of Manhattan is a place where white people go to find release and to uh, kind of enjoy the, the more open nature of things. So a lot of closeted um, white people or just people looking for a thrill um, Mm -hmm. would find their way up to Harlem and begin to experience a bit of the other, if you will. And um, 
I think, you know, to, it, it paid off for her though. And she never saw anything about it except the fact that she was like, I was making a ton of money and being super popular and got to perform every night. And um, she was popular with everyone. I mean, everyone. And I think what's just fantastic. So what ends up happening is prohibition's repealed. And so the Harlem speakeasies are kind of no longer as needed. And I, I say that word hesitantly because it's not like they were ever, it was a necessary release for all people and, you know, a place, but once drinking's allowed again, you don't have to go up to Harlem to do it. Not right. that they were doing it for that reason, but it, it, it you know, you could go to a bar right. nearby. It did change the landscape. hundred percent. And she starts facing a lot of um, difficulty in, you know, the fact that she is so open. This is when things start to become kind of more difficult for someone who's, who's dressing like a man. And they're saying she's a male impersonator. Um, that's how she's billed. What I think is really interesting is she's never once said mm. that. I mean, she always identified as a woman um, mm-hmm. who just, you know, kind of dressed in male clothing. Um, right. And sometimes in order to play, she had to wear women's clothes. And it was just not, you know, not least of which she's black. She's also being persecuted for her sexuality. And um, so, you know, it, it's just an interesting time. So uh, in 1931, she gets married in publicly to a white woman in New Jersey in a what? civil ceremony. What? But no one knows that who had to white. have been shocking. I, that had I'm to obsessed. have been shocking. Yeah. I love that. No one knows the identity of this white woman. But it happened, like publicly. It's not disputed that this happened. Um, how, like legally, how? No idea. There's nothing about no it. I literally idea. can't find any information. No one can. That's why I want to talk to her. I'm like, hey, I need to know. Incredible. What do you mean? Um, so, yeah, I think that's like one of the most incredible things. It's just like publicly in a civil ceremony in like Atlantic City, I think, gets married to a white woman. So it's not just that she's marrying a woman. It's that she's marrying a white. I mean, this is a time when like you couldn't even marry people of a different race, let alone, you know, a woman marrying another woman. So yeah, no, everything about it. Everything about it. Extremely illegal at the time. Yeah. um, I'm obsessed, but like, there's no information on it. Um, And, you know, I think what's really interesting too is so Langston Hughes has a really famous quote about her. Um, I'm going to read it now. He says, for two or three amazing years, Miss Bentley sat and played piano all night long with scarcely a break between the notes, sliding from one song to another with a powerful and continuous underbeat of jungle rhythm. Miss Bentley was an amazing exhibition of musical energy, a large, dark, masculine lady whose feet pounded the floor while her fingers pounded the keyboard, a perfect piece of African sculpture animated by her own rhythm. Hmm. So, you know, she's... Yeah, what an extraordinary and and when you watch that video of her playing, that's exactly what's happening. She is so engaging while she's playing and her feet are moving as much as her hands. She is pounding the keys, singing along to it in her own way. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Um, it's just, it's something to behold. And I'm really looking forward to just like finding all the other records that she has. Um, and so, of course, so the Harlem Speakeasies aren't doing that well. In 1933, Harry Hansberry, who was the one who had owned that uh, clam house, um, although she'd been touring around other places, she wanted to be, she wanted to build and bring her performance to Broadway, but he sues her and they brought her to the Supreme Court over it because he says he has a five-year contract over her and her songs and that when the club is getting really popular, she wants to pursue other interests that could, she could financially benefit from. And um, so they end up suing her and she is not able to move her, um, uh, move herself to Broadway. And so she, in 1934 is back in um, Harlem. She's playing at the Ubangi club for three years uh, it closes in 1937 and then she ends up moving out to California and um, wait. So she was able to get out of the contract enough that she could go play somewhere else, just not Broadway. Well, that's, what's interesting is I think it's not, she was always able to play at other places. That's what I, I was confused by this too. And I was having a hard time finding more information about it. It mm-hmm. just seems as though basically they just wanted, um, they just didn't want her to go into Broadway because it would have expanded her. I think to a completely new audience. Um, whereas if she was forced to kind of remain in Harlem, um, not that that was limiting, but it would, you know, obviously she would not have been exposed, especially after prohibition to as many people as she would have on Broadway. Right. Which, you know, could have helped them in return by having such a celebrity at their establishments, but okay. Yeah. The past is the past. I can't change anything. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically, like she had a financial interest in wanting to pursue other things. And they're like, uh-uh, we have a contract. And then, you know, there's no way, there's no negotiation or anything. And I can't even find information about whether or not that. He says he has this contract. I don't hear anything about her saying, yeah, I signed it. Um, anyway, but she's so still, yeah, very frustrating. And maybe she did. And I, I just can't find any more information on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, she she, I mean, God, she was singing about things that so many people would have hated her for. And I love it. She was singing about abusive men. And that was a thing that was, you know, with black women, um, black jazz musicians specifically singing like Ma Rainey and, um, you know, they're singing about abusive men in a completely new circle. Bessie Smith, I think was another one who was singing, um, like, you know, basically like men abusing their women and how bad that is. And mm-hmm. so th- there were so many things about what they were doing. And a lot of those women were also closeted. And so, or, or were forced to be more on the down low, whereas Gladys was more like, uh, uh-uh, I love women. I'm in love with women. She flirted with her audience, female audience mm-hmm. members. Right. Um, and, and, you know, kind of made things very, uh, uh, I think one of the songs she ended up 
changing the lyrics to and was very clearly singing about anal sex. I mean, it's wild. Um, Incredible. Yeah, she's literally a legend. Um, And so, okay, so she moves to California and she starts working at a bunch of other clubs there. And um, she ends up uh, just kind of finding it's a little different than um, Harlem in the, you know, 20s and 30s. And so she's forced often to wear skirts on stage because the club owners don't want her to be there. But she's less restricted at a place called Mona's 440 Club, which was the very first lesbian bar in San Francisco. And that's a really interesting place to read about. They, I think, what was it? The Mona, they had a little, I've seen a, (laughs) like a, uh, what is it? A ashtray where it says like Mona's where women are allowed to be like men or something like that. Uh, it's, and it's like branded for them at their club. And women were often um, at that club wearing men's clothes. And um, it was a very open bar, which is really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. But it's around that time, late thirties, late thirties to the forties where McCarthyism is, is, you know, basically making everything, horrific for anyone who's not a white dude named McCarthy. Um, And she's still touring, but the pressure of it, I can't imagine she's, she's being, I mean, it's at this point, your life, your life is at stake. And so, cause the way that McCarthy saw it, nothing worse than communism except homosexuality. So, and he specifically hated artists who were homosexuals. So, um, you know, she starts really appearing in women's clothing and, and starts to really um, wear more feminine things. She claims to have married two men in the 50s. Hmm. One of them's a journalist, J.T. Gibson. He later denies it, uh, which is interesting. Huh. Again, the pressure that everyone was under, I can't even imagine. She signs a recording contract in 1952 with Swing Time Label. And that same year, she writes the Ebony essay titled, I Am a Woman Again. And um, so I want to read more of this article to you guys, just because um, I think it's a great you know, sense of what they must have gone through. And also, again, their words could, um, only her words could express herself more. You know, I, I can't tell her story better than she could. So right. she starts the article by saying... For many years, I lived in a personal hell. Like a great number of lost souls, I inhabited that half-shadow no-man's land which exists between the boundaries of the two sexes. Throughout the world, there are thousands of us furtive humans who have created for ourselves a fantasy as old as civilization itself, a fantasy which enables us, if only temporarily, to turn our backs on the hard realism of life. Our number is legion and our heartbreak inconceivable. Some of us wear the symbols and badges of our nonconformity. Others, seeking to avoid the censure of society, hide behind respectable fronts, haunted always by the fear of exposure and ostracism. Society shuns us. The unscrupulous exploit us. Very few people can understand us. In fact, a great number of us do not understand ourselves. Do not understand ourselves. Somewhere along the line, after we discover that we are fascinated by a way of life different from that approved by society, we attempt to analyze ourselves. All about us, we hear the condemnation of our kind. We hear the scornful word word labels used in referring to us. 
Lee wins at the many harsh suggestions of what should be done to rid the world of the abnormalcy to which we cling. The censure which rages all around us has the effect of creating within us a brooding self-condemnation, a sense of not being as good as the next person, a feeling of inadequacy and impotence. To the great majority of us, at some time or other, has come the feeling that the world would be better off without us, that our friends and families would profit by our disappearance from the human race. Of course, we all reach varying degrees of adjustment. Some of us, on the face of things, accept our predicament and defiantly try our best to live with it. Others, guiltily and grudgingly, but as if drawn by some magnetic force, give in to our way of life. But forever, the majority of us are trying to find excuses, alibis, answers to the eternal why. Almost all of us live in a restless, constant search for happiness. If we cannot find happiness in our personal lives, we are sometimes able to obtain it in the professional world or in the world of art and letters to win a measure of recognition for our abilities and talents, even though the world frowns on our way of life. That is my story. I have violated the accepted code of morals that our world observes, but yet the world is tramped to the doors of the places where I have performed to applaud my piano playing and song styling. These people came to acclaim me as a performer and yet bitterly condemn my personal way of living. But even though they knew me as a male impersonator, they still could appreciate my artistry as a performer. Um, so there's more to read always, but I think for me that was so powerful when I read it. And mm-hmm. I am, you know, she later goes on to say, I was very successful. And then she goes, but because I was traveling the wrong road to real love and true happiness, I could not find them in the cruel, unreal world of my strange private life. I was a big successful star and sad, lonely person until the miracle happened and I became a woman again. The miracle came about when I discovered and accepted the one glorious thing, which for so many years I had bitterly fought with all my mind, heart, and body the love and tenderness, the true devotion of a man who loved me unselfishly and whose love I could return, the awakening within me of the womanliness I had tried to suppress. Today I'm a woman again through the miracle which took place not only in my mind and heart when I found a man I could love and who could love me, but also in my body when the magic of modern medicine made it possible for me to have treatment which helped change my life completely. Completely. I am happily married and living a normal existence, but no matter how happy I am, I am still haunted by the sex underworld in which I was once in which I once lived. Um, so I think when reading that, I mean, I was very emotional when I first read that. And I think I have a really hard time too, because in this article are accompanied pictures of her showing off how like womanly she is. She's preparing. What is it? Turning back the cover of her bed, Miss Bentley prepares to make homecoming husband uncomfortable. And she's preparing a meal for him. She's enjoying the domestic role she shunned for years. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, God, this woman was so extraordinary, is so extraordinary. And she says later on, I no longer have to search for reasons why to find why I became what I was. Today I am a woman again and no longer have to rationalize that quote, I was born that way. And that's what's so unforgivable to me about what 
society and what culture and what the world did to people for so long. Because, I mean, how many times do you have to hear how wrong and disgusting you are to start believing it when there's literally no other narrative? Honestly, probably not that many times. No. (laughs) And it, you know, especially for a woman who by her own accounts earlier was a butch woman, you know, to start getting, you know, she goes to a physician in Los Angeles and she says, I went to him because she was, so she was larger. She weighed once more. She said, I once weighed more than 400 pounds. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was really relieved when he gave me a thorough examination and she wanted to get married. There was a man, um, Don, who (laughs) basically he like makes himself a part of her life and she's not into it, doesn't want it. He was a sailor. She hates sailors. She, she doesn't want him to be around. Everyone's joking about the fact that she has a boyfriend. She doesn't like him, but she, I think, starts to see that he's a nice person. She admires him. He wants to kiss her, and she goes, no, I'm afraid. I sent him away, um, and she was miserable, and uh, effectively, the, this doctor, she says to this doctor, I wanted to get married, and he says to her, that's just what I wanted to hear. Now I can tell you what I've known for a long time. Your sex organs are infantile. They haven't progressed past the stage of those of a 14-year-old child. He told me I should be treated, taking three shots weekly for six months, the injection of female hormones, which would overcome predominant male hormones, which would affect me greatly, he declared. The treatment was expensive, but it was worth every penny it cost. Then I was ready to tell Don I would marry him. Yeah. So... It's just so horrific that this woman who is such an icon of gay and black culture is, has been beat down to the point where she's willingly drugging herself to change what is her true self. And I think that's, if there's ever a great, uh, if we were ever to have a greater understanding of what it would have been like for a black queer woman in the early 20th century, I, I don't think this, you know, we could have a better one than, than Gladys Bentley. Um, mm-hmm. But what I love is that we have her recordings and we can, God, we can listen to her just go and play and sing and like growl in this really exquisite way. And, and, and I just think it, you know, we can do better. We have to do better. And in June, the month where we remember Juneteenth and celebrate um, the final emancipation of um, Black Americans and we can, and Black people in America, and where it is Pride Month, we can remind ourselves that it wasn't that long ago that our world forced people like this to believe that they were wrong and sick and needed to be fixed and that we can always do better. And it's, it's still happening. It's 100% still happening. This isn't the past. No, (laughs) there's gay conversion therapy all over the place. There's mm -hmm. lots of homes that don't accept their children. Yes. I mean, it's not ending. (laughs) No. And that we have to do better because in the end, we just, you're just hurting other people and that's just unacceptable. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, I mean, one of the things, again, is is this 
uh, one of the people who write in about the article um, mm-hmm. says, he says, only a person who is stained with the mark of abnormality can know the mental suffering this kind of life offers. With skeletons of the sort in most closets, it does seem that somewhere there would be some help or answer to the why. Um, he said, uh, too bad you did not mention your doctor's name and his price, for I too want to leave it. I have had too much of it. The price is too severe and I'm unable to pay it. The fact is I do not care for any more of this miserable hell. Yeah, that's always a good reminder of the whole argument that queerness is a choice. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And when they're being a, a told lot of people that. A lot of people respond with, why would I choose why would to be I choose this? in this way? Yeah. I'm so, this is horrific. This simply is... for experiencing love. Yeah. It's simply. Simply. Nothing else. Exactly. It's like, it doesn't, obviously cannot compute in my brain. No. Nor in mine. Nor in mine. <sighs> and I think this article is so interesting because I, and maybe I'm, this is my interpretation of it and I'm wanting to put this on her, but I feel like there's a complete difference in how she writes about her success versus like the like choices that she ends up making later in her life. Mm-hmm. Um, so like she's writing about like, I was singing my name twinkled in lights, but I've learned my lesson. And it's like, to me, there's a very different, um, tone and again that could just be my like wanting to read into that I don't know but um mm-hmm. you know basically this article is so interesting to me and and she was um featured as one of the um people that um when the New York Times I think it was like 2019 um started an overlooked part of their obituary section which was to feature people who that who they never featured that they should have highlighted in their obituaries she was one of huh. them huh. and they, I think did a really interesting, you know, job. She, she, they did a nice job. Um, it's the New York times. They did a good job. (laughs) Yeah. That was loaded. I could, I could feel that through the computer screen. Well, it's just because I think it's, it (laughs) was this tokenism. I don't know. Are they being like, look, we fixed it and you can't go back and change what's happened. We can only try and improve going forward. Um, I'm going to try and be positive about that. Um, I do want to say, so in 1958, (laughs) she said that she had completed an autobiography called If This Be Sin, but it was never actually published and I can't find any of it anywhere. Um, And she was studying to become a Christian minister and she unfortunately died of complications of the flu in 1960. She was only 52. Wow. The flu? Yeah. I know. And she was so young. I hate that she was so young. Um, I hate a lot of things about her. I mean, yeah, I was going to say, I hate so <laughs> How many her things. life went. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. But she was, for a time being, with the Harlem Renaissance in full swing, she was, I, be- I would like to think for her, her absolute open and true self. And mm. how horrific that it was curtailed in, in the way it was. But I guess... It's nice to know that it could have existed for some, you know, and did for some period of time. I'm and... sure she changed so many lives. Oh my goodness, yes. For everyone who was able to experience her in that time, you know, dealing with their own feelings of repression and self-hatred to see someone living their life so fully for mm-hmm. that period of time must have mm-hmm. been wonderful. I Absolutely. hope. Absolutely. I hope. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> we really don't know. No, we don't. And that's the thing. That's where I'm like, I want to have a conversation. Um, oh, absolutely. So many of them I want to talk about. But so, I yeah, like so- hearing about her. I mean, even now, it's what, 2021? I still yeah. like hearing about her. I, oh, I feel my like God. there's still, the world is still reeling over Lil Nas X. Like, I know. I, which is just like, <laughs> like people being their open, authentic selves is still shocking. Or Harry so. Styles wearing a dress and they're like, what? How dare he? It's like, oh my God. It's I know. Fine. The dresses are on the rise for men. I'm excited about it. No. You know what? I'm happy for them. But yeah. once they start experiencing because the chafing, who cares? Oh go my back. God. Who cares? That's true. I, <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> yes, exactly. Who cares? Why does it matter? I hate Why? everyone. Also, uh, it wasn't yeah. that long ago that like male children wore dresses until they were breached. What? Yeah. Explain. So, like, up until I think about this time about the 1920s male children would be dressed exactly the same as female children so they they would be wearing dresses and often had bows in their hair and looked exactly like girls what? until the Why age of you know this i because i don't know history no one cares um and then <laughs> hold on <laughs> they'd be there'd be this like moment when they were like six or seven where they'd be quote unquote breached and they'd be allowed to wear pants for the first time this is a thing. Yeah, yeah. So it's not that long ago that, like, yeah, it was fine. <laughs> so confused. I know. Right? Like, the fact that we all just decide things and then we all have to live by them is is really just mind-boggling I to me. I couldn't agree more. It's like <laughs> cryptocurrency. Like, we just decide it has value, so it does. Like, money. I just, that blows, sorry, I can go off on a tangent on this. It just blows, the value we ascribe to things and then decide to set things in store by them. Blow oh, absolutely, mind. absolutely. These are the types of conversations that'll have me spiraling, you know? Spir- really, I mean, we're gonna just. There's really no end to it. No, no. And the fact that, like, all of a sudden no. they're like, ah, prohibition was great and all, but. So, and everyone's like going on about how we're, you know, in our culture after everything that's happened with us, we're going to have this great, you know, 1920s experience. But all I can say yeah. is remember the the severe whiplash after. I mean, yeah, women had never had, well, that's not true. Modern women had not had as much freedom as they did in the 1910s and 20s. And then especially during World War II. But what happens, you get the 1950s after that, which is so damaging for women. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's the reason we still have old white men in Congress. I mean, they were born then. So and they're like, ah, <laughs> oh, women are weak. And I'm like, ah, I hate you. Yeah, I the yeah, the rhetoric of another, you know, roaring 20s is, is very interesting. Well, and yeah, and it's just like, Let's just do, set about a do you remember? reminder not to do anything. <laughs> I, I remember. Mm-hmm. I cannot stop thinking about, you know, December 31st, 2019, <laughs> January 1st, 2020. Everyone's like, yeah, it's the, the 20s. whole joke. The whole joke about the roaring 20s I know. only to then have you know global <laughs> pandemic mimic the Spanish flu. It's just mm-hmm. like, <laughs> it's oh, it's so, excellent. It's so dystopian. <laughs> I can't. And I, I disagree. I don't think it's dystopian. I think it's, it's, it, well, I was yes. almost expecting it. You studied history. This is like your jam. Well, and uh, I kept saying <laughs> history as a joke, repeating itself. <laughs> well, I kept saying as a joke, it's not, it's a terrible joke because it's, you know, how many millions of people have lost their lives. But I was like, we were due for a plague. 
It had been how many years since we'd had a plague, if you will, a disease, Yeah, I, re- an I remember people talking about also, you know, not a mass extinction, but like due for some type of population downsizing historically. Oh, it had been, so, I mean, in the last gruesome, one. A gruesome yeah. thing to say, but Horrific. I do remember people talking about that. Well, and that's the thing is like, if you study history, you, you do see that every so often there's just like something that happens that curtails people uh in a horrific way i'm not saying it's good i, I obviously no 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 it just of seems to be good, a pattern but it just no, of course it continues to happen and i was like i kept making jokes but oh yeah we're due for a plague and then we got one i was like i mean i guess i was right but also damn yeah no definitely not not uh not desired <laughs> no horrific no, and so sad no, no, because no. it was avoidable anyway um yeah absolutely i it's just it's interesting the whole like will we all rage now you know, I, it's, I mean, people I, already are. So yeah, we're both in relatively major cities mm-hmm. and you know, we're already seeing the effects of like, you know, I'm seeing the New York brunch scene really. Oh, jeez, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the like trendy New York brunch scene is really, really a flame these days. We're getting the San Diego tourist scene. Well, you know, it was also, in. I mean, fashion wise also, I remember, a co- I'm really going on a tangent here, I'm but here like I, I, I remember people saying like this whole pandemic of sweatpants is really gonna people are just gonna want to go to work in sweatpants now yes. but what we're instead seeing is everyone's like wanting to dress now up. is my time now is my I time know. I know <laughs> to like look the best I've ever looked in my life it's true though <laughs> I had a year to sit at home and online shop and overthink every aspect of my personality mm-hmm. and I'm ready to debut my new self yep fascinating it's it's something i'm here for except also, and maybe maybe wow. now it's time for suits just to bring the circle bring uh, this conversation back around <laughs> i can't wait for these photos i'm so excited there are so many great ones like oh yeah our our instagram account is about to blow up she's so fucking blow up, fabulous yeah. it's wild <laughs> that's what we need to if we're gonna bring back anything it's it's gladys bentley's white, fashion white sense. suits yeah with oh matching canes for every outfit Magic. Why, of course of course Ugh, i'm obsessed with her you guys gotta listen to the music she's unbelievable she's just let's see incredible. how much we can let's see how much we can share on instagram we'll we'll see oh, I'll, yeah. I'll try and i'll play around with the rules of what instagram will let me share i love it music not always but we'll see we'll see we'll see so yeah, follow us so awesome follow us on there if you want to see those things follow us on already. instagram to see the most fabulously dressed woman you've ever seen in your life absolutely Ab- and she knows it that's absolutely. the best part about this photo she knows it oh i love it <laughs> um well thank you once again for gracing our ears with another fantastic person thank you all for listening of course that's what we're here for <laughs> that's true that is how this works <laughs> uh happy juneteenth happy, happy pride juneteenth. month happy pride month yay and we'll see you next month we'll see you next month folks hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 